I've kind of come to think of a relationship like a a well-tuned violin. When it is a well-tuned violin, it plays beautifully. But if the strings are not tightened correctly, it's not going to make that music. And if you tighten them too much, one might snap. And over the decades, with my mother, one string after another snapped. Welcome to The Meg Robinson Show, exploring the stories that make us who we are. I'm Meg Robinson, your host and composer of the music you hear in the podcast. In this episode, Anne, a licensed professional counselor, shares her personal story. She navigates a difficult relationship with her mother and struggles to find her own identity in this journey. And now, breaking free. Can you talk about the problem of estrangement? What, what are we really dealing with here? I think it's a very complex and a very common problem. And there's been some research done about uh, how prevalent it is, but I'm not sure that the numbers are accurate. I think, for, at least from an anecdotal point of view, it's a lot more prevalent than the research shows. And even the researchers themselves believe that is the case. And I think the reason for that is there it, it's a rather taboo subject. And there's a lot of shame involved in it. And a lot of people don't want to admit it. But yes, I think it's, it's very common. I have seen estimates as low as 12% of the population have a family estrangement at least one time in their life, and as high as about 28% in other research that I have read. From my point of view, I would say, in my clinical experience, that it is much, much higher than that. I was never surprised when I had a client come in, and it was at least part of the picture. Because attachment, family, attachment to your family is such a primary need. I mean, it is, at least when you're an infant, it is a matter of life and death. You, we have to be attached to our family or we're not going to survive as infants. And then as we grow, that physical dependence often should develop into an emotional attachment. So that severing of that attachment produces a lot of anxiety and a lot of other negative emotions. Traumatic family events can actually cause estrangement. I'm thinking of a situation right now when I had a client who's the, bro- the son, one of the adults, college-age sons, committed suicide. And the other siblings blamed the parents and that caused a family estrangement that's still ongoing and very painful to the parents. Because in this particular case, I don't think that the parents were to blame for, for the college-age son's suicide. But the other children blame the parents. So that has caused a very painful rupture, as you can imagine. They've already lost one son, and now they have lost the rest of their children. It's very sad. It is very sad. I mean, really sad. Yes. Sometimes uh, finances can cause a lot of estrangement. There's a lot of resentment when someone dies and the will is read and one person thinks they're not getting as much as another person. Uh, I have had uh, a situation with a client that the 
mother chose the one child to be the executor because she felt like he was the most responsible one in the family. And indeed, he was the most responsible one in the family. The other children were very resentful. And that has caused a, a great rupture in that fabric of the family. And they are no longer in contact because of that. Can you give another example of a traumatic event precipitating estrangement? I had a, a young young college student, actually, who had been uh, sexually abused by her uncle while she was being taken back to college by him. And it took her a great deal of courage to come forward and make that accusation. And it ended up being a legal case. She was accused by members of the family as fabricating it, which just added to her own wounding. And then sisters didn't speak to sisters and brothers didn't speak to brothers. And that's another example of a traumatic family event. Where does that stand now? Is there no communication? As far as I know, that, that's been a case from some years ago. As far as I, as I knew at that time, and it had been quite a few years since the legal case had been resolved and the perpetrator had gone to prison at that time. And this was maybe five or six years after that, there was still no contact. There was still great bitterness, great divide in the family. Mm-hmm. You know, one would hope that eventually with time, some of these things do mend. My husband said, and I think I, I might have mentioned this to you when we were talking earlier, that uh, um, relationships are determined by the person who wants the least. That's absolutely true. I, re- I thought that was an excellent quote. And I would add to that that it's not only by the person who wants it the least, but the person who, who puts the least amount into the, makes the least amount of effort. I think one of the myths about family estrangement is that it is a sudden event. And I don't find that it ever is a sudden event. It, there may be a precipitating event, but when you actually scratch the surface and you go back and look, the resentments and the hurt and the lack of trust have been building for years. So it's not just a one-time, okay, this is what happened, and now we don't speak anymore. It's a, it's a, usually a long, long-term process. Yes, yes. Well, you mentioned your own situation. Um, can you go back uh, and talk about the genesis of the problem that you had with your mother? Well, I was thinking about this a lot, and have you ever heard the term uh, a dry alcoholic? Sometimes it means somebody who is really an alcoholic, and they dried out, and they don't drink anymore. But sometimes it is somebody who really has never had a drinking problem, but they behave in such a way as an alcoholic would behave with the same dysfunction. There are certain patterns that you can see. People tend to play roles in that family. There's usually an enabler. There's usually the addict. Um, there is usually, uh, and of course, the, the addict would be the one who has the alcohol problem, or it could be the anger problem, or the number of different types of acting out. The enabler is the one who makes excuses for it. And then the children, these are usually the addict and the enabler are usually the adults in the family. The children tend to even have roles. You have the hero, and that's the the overachiever who toes the line and is super responsible. Often, often not always, but often an older child. Uh, and then you have the the lost child who 
just kind of, it's just the descriptor says, kind of gets lost in, kind of is a very quiet, a little bit withdrawn, gets lost in the dysfunction of the family. And then you have the scapegoat, who often is the person who is the identified problem in the family, although not really, but that's the person who gets blamed and usually rejected. Well, my family, there was no drinking in my family of origin, but there certainly was a great deal of dysfunction. In my case, I would say my father was like a dry alcoholic. He did not drink, or if he did drink, it was, oh, maybe once a year and maybe a beer. I mean, there was no no drunkenness and you know, no alcohol abuse at all. But he had a very bad problem with his temper. And um, I blamed him for all the dysfunction in our family. And it wasn't until I was much older that I saw that it wasn't just him. He wasn't just the problem. Part of what he was acting out on was the craziness that was coming from my mother. Hmm. Okay. And uh, so to say what happened in my family, I was, I was the hero in the family. I was, that was my role. Um, I was the first child. I was the overachiever. I, I was a pleaser. That was the biggest thing I could say. I was the pleaser. Uh, my sibling was the scapegoat, blamed for everything that was wrong, a lot more rebellious, and very, very rejected by my mother. It was a perfect triangle. It was my mother, my sibling, and myself. As a child, I was the one who brought home the good grades. I was the one who was the perfect little mirror of everything my mother wanted me to be. Uh, for example, I couldn't even have my favorite color. One time I had said my favorite color was blue, and my mother said, well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> your, your favorite color is not blue, it's green. And what did you think at the time? I thought, all right, my favorite color is green. You know, a child will do what it, they have to to get the goodies they need, to get the protection, to get the, the, the strokes, to get the love that they need. And in my family, I could see I had to be that. You had to toe the line. I had to toe the line because I could look at my, my sibling, in this case a sister, and I did not want that because uh, she bore the brunt of my mother's anger and displeasure. Mm-hmm. And you know, I didn't. I didn't want to be her. So she was a cautionary tale. Oh yes, for you. Yes, and I, you know, I deeply regret. If I have any regrets, and I was thinking about this, if I have any regrets, it was that I was not more of an advocate for her. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've had to forgive myself for because mm-hmm. I was a child too, and I was just trying to survive in a family that was was not healthy. Let's fast forward. You are you leave the home maybe to go to college or mm-hmm. the first time you left. How did that play out as a young adult and later as an adult? Well, it was fine when I was in college because again, I was towing the line. I was so attached to to my mother. I was you know, she told me I should wear my hair a certain way. I wore my hair the certain way. I never rebelled as a as a teenager. The problem for me and the problem for a lot of children who have this hero role is that suddenly they're an adult and they have no idea of who they are. Talk about that in terms of how you came to realize that with yourself. 
well, I think I realized it pretty pretty soon when after I got out of college and I went to start buying clothes and I had no idea how to buy clothes. Hmm. And but what happened then was when I started to try to decide who I was and started to make choices for me, it was met with great disapproval and great criticism and even uh, abuse from my mother. How how do you remember well, a story? Uh, to to speak of the clothing this is a good example I remember I'd, I had my first job post-college and it was probably the first dress I ever bought and I was very proud of it it took me a long time to be able to decide what to to buy and I I brought it home and wore it and my mother's response was well certainly nothing I would ever want to wear Mm-hmm. And, and how did that make oh, you feel? I felt so worthless. I felt incapable of, incapable of making choices for myself. And it was a long, long struggle of to find out who I was and what I did like. Um, and every step of the way, there was such intense conflict with my, with my mother over this. To go back a little bit to some of the reasons for uh, the estrangement, and I had mentioned mental health issues, uh, there is one thing in there called personality disorders. And I, do, you, do you know what personality disorders well, uh, the, are? Well, the, the listeners may not. Uh, okay. Well, it's the personality disorder is a pervasive, long-term pattern of maladaptive pattern of behavior that leads to great difficulties in personal relationships and in occupations and so just just your everyday living and there's a number of different personality disorders I think at present there's 10 but that's always kind of a fluid number depending on how they the psychological people make those designations and uh, one of them is a narcissistic you've probably heard narcissistic personality disorder yes and Often the genesis of these personality disorders is a, is a deep, deep psychic wound in somebody. And, I, you know, I, you often don't ever find out what that deep psychic wound is. But it's a pattern of looking at the world and interacting with the world. And in my mother's case, I, I really believe that, and I try not to go around diagnosing family, but you, when you're in this profession, you can't help but making some observations that there was something within her that happened maybe when she was very young, and I, I have some thoughts about what that was, but it's rather irrelevant to this conversation, that led her to develop this narcissistic personality disorder. And often people with this have a great, great fear of abandonment. And I think every choice that I made once I became independent was a message to her that I, she was being abandoned. She had. She came from a broken family, also at a time when a broken family was really a shameful thing in the little community that she grew up in. And she was very much. She was an only child. She was very much used as a pawn between her parents, even even between her grandparents. Uh, and I think her mother probably wasn't able to mother her. And it, and so it goes on, you know, it goes on generation after generation. Her mother wasn't able to give her what she needed to feel secure in herself. So then she goes on to mother me in a way that doesn't allow me to have, be secure. Let's go back to the dress. So yes. that was sort of clearly a turning point, it sounds like. 
I think it's a turning point in, in the sense that those things that we remember from years ago, of all the many, many memories we have, those things that we remember usually have some kind of psychic charge for us, if you will. Yes. And that definitely had a psychic charge for me because it was like, oh, I'm trying to do this for myself and I can't. But even more than that, behind that was the fear of, oh, I'm not going to please my mother. And if I don't please my mother, what is going to happen? Yes. And what happened was as I continued to become more independent, I displeased her more and more. The first alienation that we had was when uh, I was married and a, th a fact that did not make her very happy because, again, this is moving away from her. But when I became pregnant with my first child, mm -hmm. and I, I, we had been married several years, so this was no surprise. This was ha happening. <laughs> it's kind of the normal thing that happens. You get married, you have children. But um, I was pregnant with my first child, and I told her, expecting that she would be happy because I really didn't know yet. I didn't understand what was really going on. I just knew there was a lot of conflict in our relationship. I didn't understand the whys of it. And she was furious. Mm -hmm. She was furious with me. She didn't speak to me for the duration of the pregnancy. And what were you thinking at the time? Oh, I was devastated. I was so hurt. I mean, here I am. I'm, I'm pregnant with my first child, which caused, caused some ambivalence within me. Just because, you know, I, I knew my life was about to change and because the messages that I always got from my mother, which were, when you have a child, your life is ruined. What gave you the optimism to have your own child? I think... For one thing, it's that biological drive that we have to have children. I, at the time, I was working as a nurse. Uh, I was a registered nurse. I was working in labor and delivery and in uh, the newborn nursery, intensive care nursery. And I thought they were pretty cute. And I think I kind of thought I wanted one of I my think, own. <laughs> I think I want one of these. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but I had a lot of ambivalence and a lot of fears. And then to be pretty much told, oh, you have done something so abhorrent to me that I'm not speaking to you anymore. I think my mother, and I think she's not the only person, see, I think other people who have some personality disorders and maybe just tendencies towards these issues, they see love as a finite amount. It's a pie. And anything you take out of that pie to give somebody else is less love for me, less attachment to me. So first of all, I took a slice out when I got married. And no, that did not make her happy. Mm -hmm. um, but I think she also was smart enough at that point to realize that she had to accept it. Or she was probably going to lose me as a daughter because obviously I was in love and I wanted to get married. And that is what people do. Yeah. But then to have a child, that was a bigger chunk out of it. Less, less love for her. And that was so confusing for me. Because I'd had a couple of friends by that point who had had children, and their their mothers were so thrilled. There was no certainly no uh, joy on from from her towards the fact that I was having a baby, but 
we had reconciled in some fashion. And I think that was one of those periods of time when I had just decided this is who she is and I just have to accept it. And then I had the baby. And of course, you know, we were living away from the town they lived in. And when you have a child, like most young women do, they want their moms there. Mm-hmm. And I begged her and I begged my father to come up. And they came up and after about 24 hours, she was so negative that I asked my father to take her home. Mm-hmm. And But we left on fairly good terms and she went home and she called me and said, well, I said to your father on the way home, I'm sorry, but I look at that baby and feel absolutely nothing. She tells you she this. She told me this, and I think I probably gasped. And she said, and he said, well, then there's something wrong with you. Hmm. And she couldn't even imagine. It was beyond her capability to imagine that that was not, that, first of all, that it was okay to say that to me. Yes. It's one thing to feel it. It's right. another thing to say. It's another thing to say it. Yeah. But there was never any... It was almost as if I, I were this extension of her and that there was never any feelings for who I was as a person beyond I was born to, to make her complete. And that is a hallmark of narcissistic yes. parents. And I know another situation. It's a, it's, it's a young woman right now who, whose husband has a narcissistic mother. And she has laid down a boundary line that she will no longer go to see her. She'll never visit her. She won't visit her anymore. The daughter-in-law will not go visit the mother-in-law, the narcissistic mother-in-law, because she doesn't like the way that this mother-in-law treats her son. And while I understand that, the person she, she is hurting the most is her husband, because her husband needs the support with his mother. And if my husband, if my husband had said, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to deal with your mother anymore. I'm not going to see your mother anymore because I don't like how she's treating you. It would have been exponentially more difficult for me. The fact that I knew he had my back no matter what. Yes. And that he, whatever, he always told me, however you want to handle your mother, if you want a relationship with her, I am there with you. If you don't want a relationship with her, I understand that made a world of difference for me. One of, the, one of the benefits of being a therapist is that when you are in school to be a therapist, you have to have a lot of therapy. Yes. <laughs> you have to. That's a requirement, and it's a good requirement. And I remember one of the therapists I had when I was in school who said to me, you know, your, your mother, you and your sister never had a chance. This was a perfect triangle. And I agree, one may be the loneliest number, but three is the most cruel number. Yes. And there was always a triangle. My mother always had to be the pinnacle of the triangle. Okay, you were talking about your sister resenting you and calling you Little Miss Perfect, and you started to explain why you think she felt that way. Yes, I do understand why she resented me. Because I was constantly held up to her as, why can't you be more like your sister? Why can't you get the good grades? Why can't you dress like your sister? 
why can't and the underlying message was why can't you please me as your sister does and she didn't and she suffered a great deal of rejection from from my mother because of that so as we were growing up and I didn't help I will own that because I didn't help because I was trying to survive in this family mm-hmm. and I didn't I wasn't her advocate I didn't try to protect her and I, I do regret that but every time we tried to get close every time we tried to have a relationship mm-hmm. my mother would intervene she would run to one sister and say well you know so-and-so said this about you or so-and-so said that about you till there was no trust left between my sister mm-hmm. and me and I think she felt sorry for me because she knew how upsetting it was for me to you know, just be shut out of my mother's life at this crucial time, really, in my own life. Through the years, as we both grew older, she was more often estranged from my mother than I was. Mm-hmm. And I would get into trouble because I would try to be the fence mentor <laughs> and I would try to get them both speaking again and on one occasion they both ended up angry at me and nobody spoke to me for a while this is just this is just the way it went and I finally said okay I am not getting involved in this anymore when they got into yet another argument and that response to that what my sister was well if you are not for me you're against me and I don't want to talk to you anymore and we don't have a relationship to this day Oh, really? Yes. You don't? Did she ever get married? She did. She married. She did get married. And, and I think she has a, I think she has a pretty good life. Mm-hmm. Did she have kids? She did. And does she have a relationship with your mother? Now she does. Now she does. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's um, funny how that all came about, that they, they were estranged for 12 years. And in that 12 years, I was... You know, again, the dutiful good daughter being there, supporting my mother every inch of the way as much as I could. And as I got older and understood a little bit more about this, about personality disorders and what I was really dealing with here, I became much more guarded with my mother. I told her less and less about what was going on with me. And I had just made the decision that I, no matter what it took, I was going to keep the peace with her. I would, I would just keep the peace. I would not get into any arguments with her. And this went on through these 12 years, I would say, the last, before I had the most recent estrangement with my mother, which has gone on now for five, almost six years. Then my children grew and they got married. And, you know, as often is the case, this type of dysfunction is perpetuated and my mother turned her attention from, well, okay, I can't have a triangle with my two daughters. Let me see what I can do with the daughter-in-laws and the, the grandchildren. There was a great deal of criticism and uh, picking on one of the daughter-in-laws for, for no good reason. They're both lovely young women. And then I noticed that there was a favorite grandchild. Her, it would be her great-grandchildren, my grandchildren. And one day I actually sat down and I was thinking, this dysfunction has gone on now 
into, I think, the sixth generation because it caused problems with her grand, my mother's, my mother's grandparents, her parents, her and my father, myself and my sister. It was starting to happen with my children that it was, she was trying to cause problems between those two and now the grandchildren. And I sat there and I thought, and this ends now. We are not having any more of this. You can do this to me and my sister, but you're not doing it to my children, and you're certainly not doing it to my, great, my grandchildren. So how did you make it stop? So I decided that the best thing to do, and I had tried this through the years with varying degrees of success, mostly little success, was setting some boundaries. Okay, this you can do, this you can, but we're not going to go here. We're not going to talk here. Uh, and, and usually with people like this, the more you set boundaries, the more they push at them. They don't, they don't like boundaries. They don't like being told Okay, give me an, do this. Give okay, me an ex- example. Okay, I'll give yeah. you an example. This was, oh, maybe 12 or 13 years ago. Uh, my mother was with a friend, was uh, coming through town and was going to stop to see us, which was, I was thrilled at because she never made any effort to, to stop and see me. All, anything in our relationship was me doing for her, me going to her, me. It was, it was so one-sided. So I was so happy, and I had, was prepared a lovely lunch. We had, uh, my husband and I had reserved the day. They were coming. We were going to take them in town. A lot of effort had been put into it. And I had pretty high expectations, which I should have known better because I always told myself, when you do not expect anything and you will not be disappointed in this, in, with her. First thing was, two hours had passed, and she wasn't there when she was supposed to be there. And so, you know, now we start getting fuming and getting mad and she won't answer. She doesn't, she has a cell phone, but she doesn't use it. So we didn't know if they'd been in an accident or what was going on. Finally, they arrived and I was told that they had stopped at the Olive Garden on the way there to eat lunch. No. And she knew that I was preparing lunch. That's right. Very It's very passive aggressive. So, uh, but her friend said, oh, but I'm still hungry and I can eat some. So that we had a little light lunch, but my mother was in a bad mood. She was, did not want to be going on this trip. I don't know why she did it. And she was so unpleasant and so hateful and so critical and just like, just furious for the entire time she was here. No, she wouldn't go in town. No, she didn't want to go for a walk. No, 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 no. Everything was wrong. And she finally, they finally left. And I remember saying to my husband afterwards, I, this was just, it was just a terrible afternoon. So when she came home from her trip, I called her and I was pleasant, but I was very firm. And I said, you know, that day that you came down here, we set the day aside, we prepared lunch. I wouldn't permit my children, they were five years old, to act the way you did. And if you're coming here again, you're going to have to come and behave better or don't come. Well, that was, that was, <laughs> World War Three had begun. So that estrangement ended after nine months at one of my children's weddings. She came to the wedding. I had no idea what this was going to be like. And it was pretty tense in the beginning. Mm. Um, and at the end, she came over to me and begrudgingly, but graciously said, 
that I looked very, <clears throat> looked very nice and that <laughs> she was now going to unblock me from email. Yeah. So, okay, all right. So I again go back and I decide, all right, I'm going to do whatever it makes to take this, make this work. I'm going to just not react to anything. And then it started again with the trying to triangulate my children, their spouses, and the grandchildren. And I, I tried to avoid it as much as I could by just not giving her anything to work with. But, you, you know, there will be a way. They'll find a way. So this last, and I think truly it's a final probably estrangement, was I had been visiting my mother. And it started again about this one daughter-in-law um, just criticizing her hair, criticizing the way she parents. And there's just, there's no basis for it. There's no reason for it. And I said, stop. I said, this is going to stop. To her face. Yes. Mm -hmm. I said, you cannot do this anymore. I, I'm not going to listen to this. I'm not going to have you do what you did with my sister and myself to my children. You have to stop this. Well, it uh, it, it started to escalate pretty pretty quickly, you know, and to, to blame and um, defense and it, it I could see we were going down a path that we really I didn't want to go down because I knew there was there's no there's no end to this there's no reasoning this out you can't reason with somebody who is unreasonable yes um, and I pretty much stopped it and I said you know I think that we just need to end this conversation now and I'm gonna go and I got up and I hugged her and I said I love you very much and I'm going home now. And she was a little weepy, the hurt party, of course. And um, I left to go home. And there was a few months of very little contact between us. She had said something to me that was probably the closest to the truth that I have ever gotten from her. And she said, I will never let anybody hurt me as much as you hurt me. Hmm. And I said, what do, you, what do you mean? And she said, you grew up and left me. Wow. And I think that was the most profound, true statement. And that is the source of the problems. And at the time, I was so wound up in, you know, my argument from it and... I, and, you know, I tried to make the argument, well, this is what people do. They grow up, they fall in love, they become dependent. Yeah, on and on. Mm, no, I could see that was not going anywhere. And I, another thing I did say to her at that time was, and this was very poignant on my part, because she had said something, well, you don't tell me anything anymore. And I said, I said, you don't even know me anymore. Hmm. Uh, and she said, and it really took her back like nothing I think I've ever said to her before. And she said, what do you mean you don't know me? I said, you don't know what makes me happy. You don't know my fears. You don't know the pains of my heart because you're not safe for me to tell. The next couple months, I pretty much just wrote emails to her. I thought, I'm just not going to call for a while. I'm going to just let this settle. I'm going to write emails. And I would write little newsy emails about safe topics. 
You know, oh, isn't it hot outside? Oh, we, we just watched this movie. I think you would like it. This was six years ago. Okay. I was at the library, and when I came out from the library, I noticed I had a phone, phone message, and I listened to the phone message, and it was uh, an acquaintance of my mother that I call a flying monkey, like the flying monkeys in the Wicked Witch of the West had the flying monkeys who went out and did the dirty work for the Wicked Witch of the West. Mm-hmm. Well, this person is kind of a flying monkey for my mother. She often will deliver the, deliver the bad news or deliver the, the zings, I will say. And it was my, this person, this acquaintance of my mother, calling to say that um, in a very sing-song voice, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but your mother wanted me to call you and tell you that she has cancer, that she has had surgery, and that she doesn't wish to hear from you again. I wrecked the car on the way home. I was so upset. Um, I felt like my world, I just, I don't, I can't tell you, I just felt like my heart had been ripped out at that. And of course I was very worried about her. But I got home with this wrecked car and I thought, okay then, okay, I give up. Wow. And this time I know I won't be trying to make it right. And there's really, there's no anger. I. I'm not, I would go if I picked at it long enough, I could get anger. It's just a sad resignation. Being in this family and having the discord, did that, do you think that had an impact on your sons? Well, I think they saw some things when they were children. There were times that I know I was very upset. I can think of one time we had driven, we lived about five hours away from my mother and they were very little, and we had driven five hours to get there for Easter. And when we got there, my mother's suitcase was in the hall, and she was going down to the ocean with a friend for Easter. And when I said, what, what, you knew we were coming, she said, well, I don't understand. Why can't you be here without me here? What? I know. Okay. And I thought, why would I drive five hours with two little boys to be in your small house with no, no toys and, and no, we have no friends here? So I was very upset, and they knew I was very upset. And there were other holidays were always a big, uh, you know, and holidays for people who have estrangements in their family or have difficult family members are challenging. So there were times they saw that. I guess the biggest way that it, probably has affected them and it it still makes my heart hurt is they did not have that relationship with any grandparents the way I did with mine and my grandparents were so influential in my life I mean I think they are the reason I am as 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 well put together as I am psychologically because they were so important and because my husband's parents both died very early in our marriage they didn't have them and they didn't have my father so my mother was she was it and she was no kind of a grandmother to them yes so they don't they don't understand that that relationship is like and it's funny though but they I I am very close to their children now they all each have children and they have both commented to me on separate occasions that they wish they had had a grandmother who did something with them like I do with their kids how has that been without 
uh, you know, having your mother in your life and your sister. I had a friend here who helped me greatly because we were, and it wasn't even real particularly close friend, but a wise friend. We were having uh, coffee one day and something came up about mothers. And I said, oh, I'm estranged from my mother now. And I said, it's, it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. And she's estranged. She said, well, why should it be difficult? And I said, well, it's my, my mother. And she said, well, I'm estranged from my mother. And her mother had since passed away. And she said, you know what? She said, you do all you can. And at some point, you just have to let go. And she said, it is the emotional equivalent of a divorce. She said, I just decided I had to divorce myself from it because the emotional cost of being in this relationship was just too high for me and for my family. Because the same thing was happening with her family. You wait, what do you, how so? As far as it was extending to the next generation, her mother was playing the next generation against each other, mm-hmm. having favorites. Manipulating. So when she said that, you know what it did for me, and this is what I, the reason I am doing this interview is that I hope it will do for somebody else. I hope it will normalize it a little bit. It normalized it for me. I'm like, this is a nice person. She's, she's a nice person. And your friend. Yes. And she's living a good life. And I made a decision then that I was going to have a good life despite despite this this pain from my this alienation from my mother and I have a wonderful family I have a good relationship with my kids and with their their spouses and with my husband I have a good life mm-hmm. and that maybe you know they say living a good life is the best revenge mm-hmm. I don't really feel like I need revenge for this because I wish her all the best I think of her often I, I I'm a woman of faith I pray for her but I also know that for my mental health and for my family's well-being, it's just not a good relationship to have. Are you generally pretty open about the fact that you're estranged from your mother? No, I'm not. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit better about it. Shortly after this last estrangement happened, I was having lunch with another friend, a casual friend, and something came up. I think it was about maybe about a movie star or somebody well-known, who doesn't have a relationship with her mother. And this friend said to me, well, what kind of person is that who doesn't have a relationship with her mother? That's interesting. And I immediately felt just awash in shame. Yes. But then I was able to step back and I thought, no, I, I need to, I need to, I need to explain this. Not in a great detail like I am with you with everything that happened, but I did say, well, I am also estranged from my mother. And there are some circumstances when it is the healthiest choice. That's interesting. And how did she respond to that? I think she was surprised. Yeah. <laughs> I think she was surprised. I think she was surprised. Like, well, here she is. She's a pretty nice person and seems pretty, pretty well put together. And she uh, doesn't have a relationship with her mother. I don't know how she felt it, but she seemed to accept it and say, oh, well, oh, I guess that's probably true. But there is a great deal of shame involved with this. Let's talk about the shame for a minute, because I think that's interesting. Is it shameful because when you admit that there is estrangement, people will assume that it's your fault? Maybe, Maybe that's in part. But it's also, I mean, your family is such, um, your family is where you came from. And to admit that your family has these kinds of problems 
it's a little bit, I think actually it's probably more acceptable to say, well, we had alcoholism in our family. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an interesting observation. I just thought of that, but... Yeah, because the alcohol is an external cause, mm-hmm. um, even though someone's drinking right. it. But right. And I, I'd like to explore this because I'm sort of interested in this shame aspect mm-hmm. of it because I think it is there mm-hmm. for people. If you're in a situation where uh, the subject comes up and you have to figure out you're either going to hide it, essentially, or, you know, avoid the, the topic... Um, you know, because of the shame, well, is it, uh, is it healthy to do that? Is it healthier to do that? Or is it, is it better to kind of come clean, essentially, and say, you know what, it's, it's sad, but I don't have, you know, mm-hmm. a relationship with, with my mother? And I think it depends on the circumstances. Now, I will... Usually, if I'm, say, at a cocktail party or something like that, and something comes up, but somebody asks me about my parents, I usually just will answer, well, they're gone. Yeah, okay. And, um, you know, they're both gone, something to that effect. Because this is a very casual, and it's not the correct setting for (laughs) sharing those details. Most of my closer friends do know that I, they don't, maybe don't know all the particulars of, of why we are estranged, but most of them do know. If anybody would ever ask me, I would be honest about it. And I am, I, like I said, I'm getting more forthcoming about it because I think that the secrecy about it is, is very damaging. And this is not uncommon. So I think that it's maybe like the last taboo, but particularly when it comes to mothers, you know, we have such a cultural image of the mother as being almost sacred. Let's go back to the shame part and admitting, you said something earlier about admitting that you came from a family where there was that level of dysfunction, let's say. Um, How do we get around that shame? Well, my my quick answer would be with therapy. Yeah, Uh, yeah. (laughs) With therapy. Um, Not taking on something that is not yours. Not taking on, you may come from a family where there's great dysfunction, where there's alcoholism, where there is abuse. But, you know, and uh, one of the things that we do work on in therapy with people is that shame, is helping them to be aware that it wasn't them that caused it. Um, it wasn't me that caused the inability of my mother to be in a healthy relationship. That doesn't mean I didn't do anything wrong here, by the way. As I'm, as I'm talking, I'm thinking, oh, people might think, well, I take no responsibility for anything. Oh, no, I have, I have made mistakes. I mean, there, particularly with my sister, as I said, there have been times when I very much regret something that I've said out of anger, out of hurt. Um, and with my mother, I think, you know, we have pretty high expectations of what our mothers will be for us. And making that transition from being a, uh, a college student where I was very much under my thumb to uh, under her thumb to being an independent. It was an awkward it's an awkward transition for all of us to let go, to know how to let go of our children. Mm-hmm. And I was probably impatient. I know I was impatient with my mother, didn't get on board with it quickly enough. I was judgmental with her. There's times I have been judgmental. Uh, but I also know that I have given everything I could to try to make this relationship work. And beyond what, you know, beyond beyond what I think w- was probably reasonable for me to do. 
feeling that you have done everything that you uh, that you could do. Um, does that help? Yes, it does. You know, I, I had I have another friend, a very good close friend who knows the situation intimately, who knew my mother intimately, uh, knew knew where the bodies were, so to speak. And she asked early on in this last estrangement when I said right from the beginning, I don't think this one is going to be healed. She said, but how are you going to feel when she dies? And I have thought about that a lot because she's an older woman. And I have thought a lot about that through these years of this estrangement. And my answer to that would be, I think I am going to feel the same way as I feel now. I feel deep regret that we don't have a relationship. Um, I have grieved over not having a relationship with my mother for years or not having a healthy relationship. I've grieved for so many years. I mean, to this day, I, I, I will not watch any movie that's about mothers and daughters because it's just, it hurts. But I think I also accept what it is. And I, I have accepted it. And I don't think I am going to have any deep regrets that I have not tried once more to resolve this. Because when I do think that, I think, okay, well, I could try. And then my next thing is, and then what is going to happen then? And then is what is going to happen. And then, and I come full circle to then I'm going to be right back where I am. Only I'm going to be all stirred up and all upset again. And who knows what other damage is going to be done in the meantime you know maybe maybe one of the grandchildren is going to start feeling not good about themselves because their great-grandmother doesn't like them if your mother were here yes and you could talk to her face to face mm -hmm. at this point so mm -hmm. you haven't talked talked in five, six years yes um and it's been on again off again is there anything that you would say to her that you haven't said? I would, I don't know if it's anything I haven't said. I think I would tell her that I love her and I would thank her for everything that she did give me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I got a lot of gifts from my mother. As I'm talking about emotional gifts from her. I got a lot of gifts from her. I developed my own sense of style from her. She's a very, very attractive, well put together woman. Um, I know she. I know she loved me, to the extent of what was able for her to love me. And I would tell her I was sorry. I am sorry that we we don't have a relationship. And I am sorry. And I, you know, I do believe she did the best she could given what she given her personality and what she is I think she did the best she could there's always gifts in even difficult situations there's always gifts what's the biggest gift do you think I think the biggest gift for me undoubtedly is the fact that I know the value of family relationships family estrangement has touched many people and I am no exception. It's the reason I chose to do an interview on this topic. Listening to this woman's story, I was struck by how similar some of our experiences had been. The inexplicable behaviors, the futile efforts to make things better, the pain, 
and the frustration that I had felt over the years. My journey was a difficult one, but despite the challenges, I was able to move on and have a great life. This is my song called Breaking Free. With my mother and father, there just was no winning. From the time I got married, that was just the beginning. No amount of attention was ever enough. Ledgers were kept, and the going was rough. My dad was disturbed and my mom was too proud. Emotions were wrapped in a delicate shroud. I loved them and tried to find answers to questions. How to put it all behind. Breaking free, breaking free from the past. I've known it's taken work and love, but I have grown. I'm breaking free. They pitted their children against one another. They divided the family, each sister and brother. Letters came one by one, announcing to me they were done. You raced from the album of my family tree. I was their daughter whom they'd never see. Where did it all go wrong? How could it have lasted? so long anger they felt such anger where did this come from I couldn't tell demons they have their demons their many secrets they kept them well they were lost too blind to see such a cost to them and me nobody spoke through the bucket of tears all had rejected me so many years. Life came to a tragic end. They made their choices never to be seen again. Breaking free, breaking free from the past I've known it's taken work and love, but I have grown. 
I'm breaking free. I'm breaking free. I'm breaking free. I've broken free. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Meg Robinson Show. For more information and support on family estrangement, visit the excellent website www.standalone.org.uk. I would love to hear from you. My email is hello at themegrobinsonshow.com. Tune in next time for more of the stories that make us who we are. I'm Meg Robinson.